Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blamo. All right, new week, new pod. How we all doing? Went on a uh, went on a donut run today. I did, but I I failed. I swear, something something is not right here because I couldn't find donuts anywhere in my neighborhood. Like it, it was, it's ridiculous. I went to the gym. I went absolutely nuts doing all the stupid stuff like ropes and and ball slams and kettlebells. I had kettlebells flying everywhere over my head, around my back. I mean, I crushed it. It was I was really proud of myself. So I was like, okay, all right, big guy, we're getting a donut after this. We are celebrating. It's Friday. So I leave and I, I head to this place near me called the Donut Palace. I know it's a stupid name. It's not a palace. By the way, it was empty. And they, they had a sign out in front that said sold out on it. I'm like, what the F? Like it's it's 1030 in the morning. You're sold out. I mean, these these things were popping. So I see I'm like, I kind of like peer my uh peer myself through the window. And I see this woman back there and she's counting money like a drug dealer. And I, and I wave to her. I hear her yell through the glass, oh, we're sold out. Like she's like sold out. And she's like even, you know, like moving her hand across her neck, like the whole kill sign, which I guess that means sold out. But, but here's the thing. They weren't sold out because I could see a friggin' tray of donuts in the window, this huge one that was like in the little glass case. I'm like, well, are, were they reserved? I, and I like try to point to it and she keeps saying sold out. No, no, no. So maybe those are like test donuts. Maybe they're wax donuts. I don't know. But there were no donuts and I was livid. And I was, I realized I was hangry. You know, the whole thing, like hungry and angry together. Um, I didn't invent that. Some idiot did. But like, I was like, well, maybe the big man upstairs is trying to tell me to chill out. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I get in my dumb car. I proceeded to this gas station and I got a gas station donut. I was like, this is going to solve everything. One of those blueberry cake, you know, this is a crappy donut, but I've, for some reason, I'm so focused on getting these stupid donuts. I'm, I hold it in my hand. It's in one of those little butcher paper bags and it snaps in half and it hits the ground. And the guy's like, oh, sorry, dude. I, uh, I guess you got to buy it. Like kind of laughing. I'm like, for real? Come on, man. And I, I kind of like get pretty upset. Like I, I like get ready to throw down with this guy, but he was, he was kidding. And I was like, look, I'll buy one that's not half on the ground. And he's like, dude, it's fine, man. Don't worry about it. And so he takes it, throws it away. I got back in my dumb car. I went home and I had a protein shake. I swear that was, that was my day. That was my Friday morning. Swear to God. It's my life these days. I'm just, just cruising around, swinging kettlebells, trying to find a donut. It's like, aren't we all just looking for donuts? I'm saying. All right, enough of that crap. Um, my guest this week is a good friend, incredible skateboarder, hilarious comedian and actor, Mort Burke. Uh, he's launching his new comedy special. It's out, I think, tomorrow. I should know this, right? I'm doing the intro. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's out the 28th, which is poof, big, big time. But full disclosure, Mort was the guy who used to help me learn how to skateboard when I was young in St. Louis. He helped me learn how to kickflip. He would take me out and like teach me tricks and like vibe with me. I mean, he was just, he was a cool dude. And now he's, he's level 99 cool dude. I mean, he's, he's, he's a cool guy. He's Mort Burke. He's been on your favorite shows from Mythic Quest to Drunk History and The Mindy Project and more. We chat his new comedy special, Spiritually Filthy, skateboarding, freaking out on airplanes, being polite, not drinking coffee, being sober, his friend Wayne, which you got to watch this special, it's pretty, pretty gnarly, religion, best skate videos, and why so many people are obsessed with skateboarder style. <laughs> Dude, we, he nails it. He nails it. You got to listen. Excited for you to listen. Here we go. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into stuff. You have a special. Yeah. And... Yeah. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I watched it. It's really good. Thank you, dude. We're gonna we're gonna jump into the history too because I I have to give you a lot of gas up here mm. at the beginning because you I was into skateboarding when I was younger. You and I met through my older brother, yeah. and you were the cool skater dude who actually was really good at skating. And you took me skating. Here's the here's the three things that you did for me. You took me skating not once but twice. You tried to teach me how to kickflip. I failed. You were cool with it. Then we went into the car. We got McDonald's, and you introduced me to Built to Spill. <gasps> No way! Yeah, I was this was the in the Volkswagen. Kid, I was the coolest kid alive. <laughs> you were. <laughs> that dude, I'm so happy to hear that I was like kind to you because I, I know I was. I was also like a little like skate rat snob too. So I have this fear that I was like really vicious to, to everyone. So I'm really happy. To, and, and what a gentle band to introduce you to as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, wow, what is? Because I had watched your guys' skate video, and it was it was Stereo Labs cover of Saint El- Elmo's Fire, which I think was Brian Jarvis's video. Wow, yeah, man. And then there was Carry the Zero from Keep It Like a Secret, Built to Spill. Yeah, which was used in those Trans World videos. Yeah, there's a bunch of. Do you know Randy Placer? He's okay, like, yeah. So it's a very small world because I worked at a Starbucks. This is 2003. Uh-huh. And Randy was with, he might still be, I don't know, but he was with the woman mm-hmm. and her best friend I worked with because she was, didn't they move to China at one point? Oh, I don't, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm not like super in touch with what's going on with him all the time, but, but like, but that's Some awesome. I know you are. He's, yeah, well, I'm just a fan. I'm just a Randy super fan. I'm a fan of like, you know, there's like probably six incredible skateboarders that have come out of St. Louis and he like went pro and stuff. And yeah, so, yeah I'm just. I mean, we kind of know each other, but yeah, he has a kid and he lives in St. Louis now. There that you go. much I know. Yeah, that much. I There's know. a bunch of people who are just coming back here. We're we're all washed up and we're coming back to St. Louis because you can't afford a house anywhere else. Good for you guys, man. Yeah. It, yeah, it's absurd out here. Yeah, we we still got we still got regular drive-throughs. Fast food's very good out here. I, how often do you make it back to St. Louis? Um, I was there like uh, a year ago. Okay, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, you got to yeah. come out more. Yeah, I I have a gnarly plane phobia. So anytime, Wait, really? I'm, yeah, I'm terrified. You talked a bit about this on the on on your special, but like it's it's you still have it. I get on planes and I immediately start sobbing. Oh, <laughs> I like. I, so what's the, the last, downside? Uh, but the downside is that I'm. I it feels like somebody's pointing a gun at me. It's like so <gasps> scary. I last time I was okay. So the last plane ride I went on, which was to Arizona, so it was one hour. So that was me. We were like, okay, we're going to do this to try and like dip our toes in the water. Mm -hmm. I get on the plane. I think I'm playing it cool. The, the, uh, the attendant, what do we call them? The, the lady working there, whatever. Flight attendant. Thank you. Yeah. Flight attendant. She's attending the flight and she, she looks at me. Three of them try to help me. That's how bad it is. And the final, the last one comes up. She puts her hand on my leg. She looks directly into my eyes. Like, like a lot, like a mother does to a child who's in trouble. And she goes, repeat after me. I am safe. I am okay. Oh, and I go okay, and I just started doing it, and it didn't. I was. It's not that I was no longer panicked, but it took the nine down to like a six. You know what I mean? And so afterwards, I saw her. We were walking off the plane, and I saw, and I was like, uh, "Hey, what's up?" I was just fucking around. I wasn't real. I was just messing around. I was, <laughs> I was cool. I was really cool up there. That was fun. And then I was like, "I'm really. I'm sorry. Thank you." You know? And she's like, "Don't worry about it." She's like, "I have panic attacks. Like nightly panic." So she's like, so I'm very familiar with this experience. That's why I know that that mantra works. 
So just if you're ever out there, anyone out there, if you're ever having a panic attack, repeating the phrase, I am safe, I am okay, does something to like calm your nervous system. And I don't really, I very rarely get them anymore at all. And I've done like a lot of work around and stuff, but I, yeah, planes. I don't know, maybe, I mean, look, I have a hope that one day I'll be able to travel like a normal adult. We'll see. But yeah, you're, you're an actor, a comedian, a writer. You got to fly. You can't be John Madden. <laughs> Is that what he does? It's what he did. He's dead now. He doesn't do anything. Yeah. R.I.P. Lays down. <laughs> but <laughs> he he didn't fly. And so he always had a he always had a bus. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I end up I mean, I end up driving places like when I have to go home. I Luckily, I love road trips like I. So uh, you would drive back to St. Louis. That's what I did. I <gasps> rented a Dodge Challenger and drove it back to St. Louis. And it's the most fun thing I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. So you were like in a Transformers car. Yeah. Zooming back. Yeah. And this big, stupid muscle head car, which they're so it's like driving a fast tank. It's ridiculous they're super fun and it's zero you know whatever miles to the gallon gas <laughs> so you know there is a um john gabris talked about this once that his mom did it there is a a flight it's like a flight safety like flight anxiety sort of school and it's sponsored by airlines and you can mm. do it and it's like pretty cheap and you go to these classes and they tell you like how safe flying is and you learn about turbulence and they explain to you and you have all these pilots and they tell you all the training that the pilots go through and then when you graduate you go fly and in new york you fly from like you take off at LaGuardia and you land at like newark oh wow jfk so you basically just go up you do a little loop-de-loop around yeah. the city and you go there and then That's, you graduate you know i have to do that and we have a, a pilot friend who said he's going to do that but i should just go to that school i also love landing like once to starts i get so excited like i know people because it's over yeah people hate landing because it's like super rough i don't if the the plane could explode into a fireball but if it's on the ground i'm fine i just yeah it's fair i just don't want to fall through the air i don't know why i'm up there (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear you i don't want to drive i don't like driving in la do you drive Uh you drive in la yeah, yeah. No, I mean, driving in LA sucks, but I do. Yeah. I, I, I do. I do. It turns out I like, yeah, I enjoy driving. Although the traffic here sucks. What is it? What don't you like about it? specifically? I don't like paying attention. First off, I also don't like the aggression mm. and I don't like people not using their blinkers. Yeah, I am a courteous, punctual driver. Yes, yes. And these these people are not paying attention. There was some dumb video and it was Jason Bateman and he was eating a salad in his Tesla while his Tesla was on autopilot. Uh-huh. And I'm like, somebody, somebody punched that guy. Love, <laughs> love, big fan of JB. <laughs> sure. Love Jason Bateman. Sure. Be, I'm going to be very clear. Um, but development homie, to the Ozarks. You know, yeah, we're game. We're game for the career. Uh huh. Ten, ten and two. Get your hands on the fucking steering wheel, bro. Well, here, here. Okay, so you're from St. Louis, Missouri, right? And so am I. And we yes. and and th- we have something in common with the South that we are part of an honor culture. I had this explained to me. So for us, politeness is like of paramount importance. Like yes. if somebody's not being polite to me, I feel like they're trying to fight me, and they're not. They're just like going about their day. But and that's mm-hmm. that's way different than like the East Coast, where the, it can if you're from New York and somebody's being overly nice to you, it feels rude. And it's exclusively a cultural thing. It's like having a different it's ha- like having a language barrier. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Well, people, there's there's a Minnesota vibe. I mean, we're, let me be very clear. Missouri and Minnesota are two different states, everyone, despite the the name similarity. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a thing called Minnesota Nice, where mm-hmm. people from Minnesota are really, really nice. 
but they also talk funny. I don't talk funny, and I'm nice, so I I get a pass. But and that's not. But that's not what Minnesota nice means, though. No, well, Min- Minnesota nice means you're um you just have a lot of manners and you go above and beyond. No, it means is, that you're nice it? to somebody's face and then you're an asshole behind their back. No, Google it. I'm pretty sure. I'm literally googling this live. What does Minnesota nice mean? It's a cultural stereotype applied to the behavior of people from Minnesota and Wisconsin, implying residents are unusually courteous, reserved, and mild-mannered against people who are not like them. Oh, sh- okay, I'm totally wrong then. <laughs> Damn. Whew. Well, that doesn't make sense that it has its own name when it just means nice. Like, that's you should just say nice then. Yeah, well, anyway, they are. There's a Midwest thought, vibe about that. I, I don't get it. Was, it. I thought it was like the reference, like like the same way they say, you know, Southern people say like, bless your heart when they mean like, I hate you or whatever. I thought I thought it was that similar <laughs> kind of thing. I have never had that happen where someone someone told me bless your heart when I knew they meant I hate you. No, I'm I don't. also oblivious. I don't think it happens all the time. I'm just saying that that's like, a, that's a thing in the South where they're like, even when they do hate you, <laughs> They will still be polite to you because it's an honor culture. Okay, fair right? point. So I think that's one thing. So people, and then for people who don't grow up with those the expe- the importance of politeness for them, it seems it seems fake because it has yeah. that potential. Like, oh, you don't really like me. You're just being kind. Whereas I'm like, I don't care if you hate me. Just be nice to my face. <laughs> just be a real sweetheart, and we can all move move on. You know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So you've been in LA how long now? Uh, since 2010, so 13 years. Oh, geez. So are you a lifer? I don't know if we'll end up here forever. I mean, I love it out here. I, I It's great. What's your what's your your day-to-day? You go to Maru, you stand in line? I don't know what Maru is. Maru is the cool kid coffee spot in LA. There's uh, a bunch uh, of them. Are there? Uh, no, dude, I'm off coffee. I don't drink coffee anymore. <gasps> so you're off You're off everything, everything then. I'm off everything, dude. Because you talk about this on your in your special that you're sober. I'm not, yeah. I'm not outing you. You, yep. you. you live on this. And you're not even drinking coffee. Right, because everything I do, I do it like a sociopath until I can't do it anymore. So I was drinking like six cups of $5 coffee a day and was like, why What's why do I have an anxiety disorder? And it was because I was like so juiced and high on coffee all the time that I like, I had to cut it out. I had to stop because I'm not in control. It's like everything else. I'm, once I have one cup of coffee, it can easily turn into 15 and then, so it's not like I'm some saint. It's because I'm so, I have such little control. Wow. So what what is the what is your what's your day to day? Are you are you making tea? I'm having you... a smoothie right now. Oh, okay. Well, how many smoothies do you have a day? Mm, like one and a half. <laughs> Now my thing is, okay, so, and then oh, this is nuts, dude. So I'm also, I, I haven't had sugar in like, I don't even know, 10 months okay. for the for the exact same reason. Because I was eating three bags of gummy bears a day and was like living in this world of like, sh- like super high highs and then really intense depression. Yeah. yeah and then real. I stopped eating candy like, <laughs> like fucking... <laughs> I stopped eating so much candy and my depression lessened like markedly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, Be- I have congratulations. I, you, you are walking on a tightrope across towers. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how you, how you're doing this. You just have to stay away from the first one and you have to really like, and it's the same thing. Like I smoked cigarette, a pack of cigarettes a day for the first eight years of my sobriety. Right. Yeah. And, and Which I is love- a pretty common thing, right? It's just shit. Yeah. Shift from one thing that's going to kill you or that's going to kill you to like something that's legal that might kill you 
10 years from now. Yeah, I think it's common if you're smart. Here's what I think. I think that people often, <laughs> they try to get sober and they're like, all right, dude, I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to fucking run a marathon. I'm never going to smoke mm-hmm. again. When I think the reality is, yes, like what you're saying, I think is a great idea of like lean. They say like, get rid of whatever's going to kill you first. So mm-hmm. like lean much deeper. Yeah. So I just did cigarettes for like woke up and smoke every day, all day long and loved it. I looked cool. I fucking yeah. felt great. I loved smoking, you know? Cigarettes are, I mean, I mean this, this is not a joke. I think cigarettes are still the coolest thing. You're breathing fire. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's like this, you're you're taming the evolution of man. I mean, it's incredible. I'm yeah. dead serious. I fucking love cigarettes. Yeah, dude, and you're, you're gesturing with smoke, so you're like a magician, yeah. but not not nerdy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just, yeah, it's, they're amazing. And also like, yeah, it gives you something to do with your hands. I'm like orally fixated, all this stuff. So I just loved them. And then, and then all of a sudden I had this, I, well, it's a, like a boring story, but we went on a camping trip and I realized I didn't have any cigarettes. And I was like, shit. So I, on day two, I was like, oh my God, I'm not smoking right now. And then my dreams became really vivid and really intense, which happens when you stop something addictive, usually. Okay. And I think yeah. it, my little theory is that it's because you're um, no longer blocking that aspect of your subconscious. Where Because I think, like, I'm using cigarettes to run away from feelings, right? I'm just, like, stuffing all this stuff. So okay. I think... So I think I'm like pushing all this shit down. And so that when you let go of the addictive thing, all this stuff comes up from your subconscious and kind of filters into your dream life. So like when I was drinking, I didn't have a, I don't remember having dreams for probably like four or five years. And then when I stopped, I had this like really intense, gorgeous dream life. And the same thing happened when I stopped smoking cigarettes. And then, so then I, I was like stuck on this mountaintop with my partner and it was like, all right, I'm going to see what, see if I can do this. So then you still have to go through the withdrawals of the experience, right? It's not like all of a sudden you're like free and easy, but if you can start to, for me, my experience, when, when I start to really like focus on the joy of it mm-hmm, or the, mm-hmm. the, the new experiences that I'm gaining from it, that's when the perspective shifts for me and now i love not smoking like i smoking as I, if i walk next to somebody who's smoking it's they it smells like somebody like burnt a cookie and like put car exhaust on it it's like the grossest thing <laughs> it's so awful and now and i really enjoy like breathing deeply you know what i mean like so i i've done both i've like loved the addictive shit and then now also i've experienced like the the other side of it which i like like i don't i think that's better than having never smoked wow you know I am curious what your take is on there's this like uh, cool vibe now where everyone, especially in California, where I think for the for the first time in many years or for the first time, period, it's it's more cool to be sober than mm-hmm. it is, you know, because it used to be like drugs are cool and all that. And I think now like all of my friends that, you know, are cool or identify as cool are very, you know, abstained from all from all drugs everything you know there, there's the cali sober where it's like yeah i eat a gummy with my friends and we talk about you know whether or not dark side of the moon was done you know but like there's it's it's now cool to just not partake in any sort of toxic substance yeah i i think it's interesting you say like mention the california thing because i do think it's like geographical like i feel like new york was all drugs mm-hmm. and bars of course bar culture but like heavy drugs chicago mm-hmm. depending on where you're at was like the so just beer culture just drink 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 and then out here it's like tends to be more like of course weed and psychedelics right and so uh, yeah i think that probably the the california sober of being like yeah i like i'm sober but i do do mushrooms every sixth month 
It's probably the like standard over here. Yeah, yeah. And also, look in New York. Um, so I was there, and every restaurant I went to also had a NA like cocktail list uh-huh. for the same price as regular, right? You know, cocktails. Yeah, you know, it's like a jasmine infused um, yucca <laughs> milk. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, cool. I'll try hibiscus, yeah. mint, jasmine, lavender, whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, all sorts of scents and and uh, you know flavors. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I I, I think you know where it's easier to be vegan now. Uh, my my wife who is sober, um, she's she talks about how it's you know from other people that she's talked to and and support programs and stuff are like, oh, it's it's a lot easier now, and in terms of the outside world respecting your decision. Yeah, not so much in that someone's struggle is easier. I want to be very clear about that distinction no that's makes um, a lot of sense totally and especially too with like the opioid epidemic like it's just people have gotten more serious in their understanding of like the devastation of addiction right so it's like you generally know someone who's been affected by it and it's like nobody talked about it for really it's like everything like here's what i okay my overarching philosophy is that in general i'm going to use a california word right now consciousness is raising all right <laughs> Ooh, okay 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 which is not to say that shit is not terrible that is not to say mm-hmm. that there's not plenty of awful stuff that's happening but that is to say that we are now having to look at it in a way that we never had to look at it before right oh so and so by that i think that there because of that i think people are like and maybe that's something to depend with to do with the pandemic too that people as far as like people's sobriety like people were able to look take a look at their life and being like oh maybe i am abusing stuff for a reason that is not beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, you know, I don't, people can drink. It's no big deal. Like there's nothing wrong with drinking. Do you know what I mean at all? It's fucking, it's excellent if it's like good for you. And if it's not, it's not, you know? Right. Yeah. Cause that you used your discussion of your sobriety and your journey with it. And the reason why I, I brought it up is it's, it's a very large part of your special. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Which I'm really, I'm, I'm psyched. Cause I like, I waited a very long time to put anything out. You know, I started probably doing, I yeah. started doing stand up in probably like 2007 or something. And then was this in Chicago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then uh, and I started doing an improv and sketch and stuff in St. Louis in like 2001. So it's just been a really long time of like doing a lot of live stuff and really loving that life and have a, having a lot of beautiful experiences and touring and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, over the last like pre-pandemic, I started doing tons of mostly open mics and just like building this material and stuff. And it was cool because I felt like, oh, I actually do having a long time sober now. I have a perspective on those experiences. I know how to make them funny and I know how to talk about it in a way that feels like honest to my own experience. And yeah, I just, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I just felt like I was able to say like personal stuff and have a perspective on it. You know, that that is that comes from like having a bunch of time sober, which Everybody doesn't have the opportunity, especially if you're like, I think it's hard if you're a known person and you're getting sober because then you immediately have to start talking about it. And that's kind of dangerous because it's such a personal experience, you know? That it's like you're dealing oh, with your yeah. own, you know, your perception of the world changing and being shifted entirely, right? It's like, it's, it is like putting on all of a sudden you put on like glasses and you're, and you didn't know you had bad vision and it's like incredibly sunny out and everybody's really, really loud that, you know, it's like if you're a sensitive person in this, like, it's a strong visual. Yeah. yeah. You know, this yeah. armor that you had is like gone. So the first early sobriety, it's like anything like we're talking about, anything you could do to like stay sober is wonderful. And I think it's, it's all also good if you can mm, it's hard if you're if you're like required to communicate to people why you're doing this or how you're doing it you, you know what i mean or like what it feels like or any of 
this other shit in early sobriety. It's much better if I think if you have a long-term experience with it, you could be like, oh, that's what it was like with two years. That's what it was like with six years. That's what happened at 13 years in. Okay, that's fucking crazy. You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy about that, that I think I was able to like, and also it's funny, like more and more, it's funny, but you know, I was able to convey that stuff. <laughs> Well, I think there you have to have a certain level to go back to your consciousness word that you used um, to to now look at these things as funny. And I think in a way, I'm I'm always a little bit taken aback when I hear any comedian speak about sobriety because a part of me is like, well, wait, am I allowed to laugh at this? And I'm like, no, 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 they're they're leaning on this. And you know, I I'm always kind of curious. Like, do you find that that's almost like a redemptive aspect of? the journey you've had to be more open and vocal about it, where maybe some people might question their own use? Maybe. I mean, I hope so. I don't know. This It hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so like, we'll see when it drops, how people respond. To well, it. but obviously people have heard the material before. Yeah. This isn't. Yeah. I mean, you didn't just go out and it was just from the palm of your hand. I mean, it, you'd, you know. yeah, no, it was all definitely like very workshopped stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah. Redemptive. I don't know. I hope so. I, I like, I hope that it's, I hope that it's good for people to hear. I think it is, it is good for me to talk about it. I think, although I think, you know, if you're being, if you're being funny, you're hopefully going to be funny about whatever's happening in your life. You know, I think it can be yeah. harder to make good shit funny. <laughs> like it's much easier to be like, whatever, be like, yeah, here's my ninth divorce. You know what I mean? It's just easier to like, <laughs> <laughs> to be funnier with that shit, you know? But it's harder to be like, I do yoga now. Isn't that hilarious? Like, no one wants to laugh at that shit, you know? <laughs> I, that's kind of funny. Do you do yoga? Occasionally. When I'm, do, when I'm, on, when okay. I'm on my shit, I do yoga. Yeah, yoga was, you know... <laughs> It, yoga was created as a preparation for meditation. It's like a deeply spiritual act that's been co-opted by uh, white capitalism <laughs> to like, yeah, to like give say. you like a cool stomach or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you, um, do you meditate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have like a, you got to walk me through on some of this. Cause I, I have tried to meditate many a times mm, Yeah, and I end up being uncomfortable with myself Yeah, and I end up kind of like laughing because I'm the person person where I, I openly admit this to where like, you know, my grandma's funeral or whatever, I, I didn't really know how to behave. So I was kind of like making jokes. Yeah. Even, even then like this dead serious, my mom is recovering from breast cancer and right now mm. she had a double mastectomy and um, I was with her the other day and I was like, mom, I was like, are you cool if I use you as an excuse to get out of stuff I don't want to do for a while? And she was like, Jeremy. And she kind of laughed a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's like I I don't I don't really know how to sit in grief mm. or things that are challenging for me on an emotional level. So I kind of will throw humor at sure. it. And so when I meditate, I feel like I'm forced to sit with the emotions that I usually will put humor at to push away. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And then and yeah, exactly. And then and then I'm just like well, fuck, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go try to run and listen to like Sigur and cry when I do that. Which is also great. I think that's you. What a powerful experience. That's talk about good visuals. That's how cinematic I'm picturing you like, like ru oh, running yeah. blast, and blast Max Richter. So yeah. Openly sobbing. And like, just like weeping. Oh, I, le I legit almost every time I run, I end up starting to cry. Wow, dude. That's when yeah. I stopped smoking cigarettes. Every time I would sit down and meditate, I would start crying um, for like a month. So I have a couple things about to say about this about what you just told yeah, me please. which is first of all i think it's incredible that you know this right that you're like oh these are emotions that i i laugh at because i'm uncomfortable i think there's nothing mm -hmm. i think laughing at them is a gorgeous way to like process st stuff so i think there's my question would be like why can't you sit there and laugh while you're trying to meditate and 
I, I say that as a person who's like, well, not, you know, knowing, but I, I meditate because it's so hard. I'm, I'm so, it's so hard. It's like, I'm trying to do jokes about this on stage about how people are like, I can't meditate. The thoughts, they just keep coming. Like, of course they fucking, <laughs> that's their thoughts. That's all they do is keep coming. Like, yes, that's all they do. Right. And what happens is that we're continually subject to these thoughts and we're not aware of it. And then you sit down and you start to steadily become aware of like, oh, I'm having all these thoughts. And some of them are extremely frightening. And so for me anyway, some of them are extremely like self-hate, self-hating, you know? Um, and I wasn't aware of that until I sat down and started like take note of this experience of what my thinking looks like, right? And then you can start mm-hmm. to see like, oh, and again, a- as an aware person, this is not, uh, what I'm talking about here is not something that you haven't experienced, right? It's not like, it's just a slightly, how do I say this? It's just a slightly shifted paradigm of what this looks like of like, oh, there are my thoughts, which is how I perceive reality and then there is reality which is entirely different than my actual thoughts and I know that because I sat still for 20 minutes and I had all these emotional experiences and all these different thoughts and nothing happened you mean nothing happened as in you conquered them or no, is... as in I just sat here and not the the nothing ha- nothing happened. I had all these thoughts about like why I'm angry at this person, why I'm sad about this thing, why I think this thing's hilarious, why I want this thing, why I had, shouldn't have worn that, why I shouldn't have said this. You know what I mean? This is all going on in your head while nothing is happening. So what does a nothing mean? What do you mean? What does it mean? Well, I mean, if nothing happens, uh-huh. do you take action? Do you learn from it? Do you? You start. To, you, I, I say this like for my own. Sake. I think you start just, to you know. recognize that there is a there's a whole universe that is beyond this continual narrative that is running in my head this like what what are tantamount to just a series of judgments because the the brain exclusively likes to judge that's its job but it's okay it's just it's designed to do that but it's like it's a tool that we that is now the master you know yeah so 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 when so when nothing happens what that really is is peace but we confuse Mm -hmm. it with boredom because we're so fucking and i'm saying this is i'm not like some spiritual guru that i'm yeah, I'm, man, this is a TED talk. I'm just we're, as fucking we're, we're addicted to the Instagram as any other dork. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, but also like I, ha- yeah. I, I'm also aware of that. So I have to like, this is funny. I have parental controls on my phone that my fiance oh, has yeah. the password to. Cause I can't. No. I, okay. So wait, yeah, explain this. Cause to I me. can't have Instagram on my, I cannot have Instagram or Twitter or anything on my phone because I will lose all day to it. Like I'm so, as a person who's like, I always think people who have like addictive tendencies are like the canary in the coal mine like because i'm so addicted to that shit that i will lose six hours to it It, like i I will lose Mm. an entire day to it so i can't have it on my phone i don't know how other i don't know how other people don't drink until they're blacked out i don't know how other people like have instagram on their phone i really don't well i mean i think you're picking at something here which like I wrestle with this too. And that's the thing is where like, you know, I, I am not, I'm not saying that I'm the same as you, but I have definite like addiction issues with, yeah, with, with Instagram, with, with my identity, with, with my uh, desire for materialism to assert myself mm. because I, I have issues with my, you know, I weigh myself every day. I have horrible body image issues, all these things. And I have this like love hate relationship with Instagram because I can look back at how Instagram has literally grown my career, Mm. not by like a post I did, but by like someone messaged me or I became friends with this person and the contact started on Instagram to where like that was my in a weird way. Instagram was my bar that I could hang out at and it's a dangerous place. 
but I was able to make really good connections and that those connections have helped me over time. Yes. But I can't quit it. And I, you know, I, I mean, this is not, this is like a serious thing. I think about this every day because I, I pull it out and I see whatever activity is going on and I laugh at a few things and I check in on folks, you know, whatever it is. And I'm just like, fuck this thing, you know, like I, I've tried to turn it off when I'm trying to be more present around my kids, mm. you know, and also like, I'm not, not that we're the same, but like, you know, we're both self-employed per se. Yeah. And so it's like, I, sometimes my, how quick I can respond to a, a request is whether or not I get paid to do mm-hmm. it. Totally. So it's like, well, crap. Yeah, and, I, and, and by the way, like, I don't think Instagram or any of that stuff is evil. It's the same as drinking to me. It's like, it's just a thing that exists. It's completely dependent on how you utilize it. And I use it. Right. I have re- great difficulty not using it in an unhealthy way, which which yeah. only shows my, like, level of sensitivity and susceptibility, like shit that should not be a problem, you know? <laughs> um, well, no, I think I think for some people, it you know, being aware that that is a problem, where other people, it's the exact same thing, and they're just adjusted to it right right yeah totally and and again we're all kind of in this mess together like we're all victims of the algorithm or what i mean they've done a wonderful job of like te- like learning how to make this shit highly addictive to people you know okay. but i think for me the upside is that i've learned like okay now i need to you know for lack of a better term develop and nurture some kind of spiritual life okay you know which to me is and and this this is that de- well, this was definitely heavy in your in your stand-up yeah yeah and that's why i called it uh, is wayne real yeah. Okay. So Wayne is real. For listeners, Wayne is a is a, a big part of the the stand up. And I, my prediction, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him. I was like, I bet Wayne isn't real, or you're Wayne. Mm, interesting. Yeah. No. That if I were a better artist, I would have <laughs> would have like made an amalgamation <laughs> of people and turned them into one one uh, character. No, he's this beautiful person, man. He's this wonderful guy. And like, and I say that not to like try and kiss ass. I say that to be uh, loving about the struggle of addiction, which is fuck right. in turns hilarious, the funniest thing in the world, and like a total tragedy. And, but also so fucking funny. Oh, I mean, a- absolutely. Like one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and, and I'm actually, I'm going to pull this up. Um, because I think that anyone that's a comedian is definitely on a higher plane in, towards enlightenment. Not, not, not kidding. So Mel Brooks has this quote that he said, and he said, comedy is the most powerful component of life. It has the most to say about the human condition, because if you laugh, you can get by. You can struggle when things are bad if you have a sense of humor. And the last thing he says is laughter is a protest scream against death, against the long goodbye. It's a defense against unhappiness and depression. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy. Heavy, Yeah, right? I talked about this recently in another thing, but I'll just say it again quick, that supposedly, and I think I heard this on an NPR uh, thing, shout out to our sponsor, I... Uh, it was like <laughs> that supposedly the etymology of laughter, like where it comes from, is it was the first sound mm-hmm. that human beings made to s- indicate something that was neither food nor dangerous. So they would go like, ha, 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 look at this thing. So I think there's this ancient part of us that when we laugh shows us that if something is not dangerous, like don't wa- it's so we can look at something that feels dangerous or seems scary. Like you're saying these feelings that you have, right? And and just through mm-hmm. the act of going, ha, 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 then you are now illustrating to yourself, like you'd actually, there's nothing to be worried about, which I think is a kind of a spiritual thing, right? Because if you have a belief or a faith in a higher power, then you're like, oh, well, I'm a soul that can't actually be damaged. And like people can do whatever the fuck they want, you know? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the parable about the, the monk or whatever that the we'll see 
Have you heard that? No, enlighten me. Yeah, it's this monk. He like, what is this? I can't remember all of it, but he's like, they, he has a son and everyone's like, oh my God, congratulations. It's so beautiful. And he's like, we'll see. And then his son goes off to war and everybody's like, oh my God, that's so awful. And he's like, we'll see. And the son comes back from war and he's like, that's so wonderful. And he's like, we'll see. And then he like gets a horse. And he's like, that's so wonderful. And he's like, we'll see. And then the horse breaks his leg and he's like, we'll see. You know what I mean? Over and over and over and over. And it just points to this idea of like, I mean, exactly what it illustrates. We, we, we d- we're actually I was going to say he's a shitty dad that's no that's it. what that story's about yeah just a bad dad <laughs> we'll see give me some fucking encouragement pops <laughs> you're not bummed at all that I'm fucking going to the, the army now um yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just this this concept that like we actually don't know what's good and bad. We don't. And we think we do, right? We think oh, we're man. continually asked to be like this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good. And it's like the reality is is you actually don't know how this shit's going to turn out. Yeah, that that doesn't make me comfortable. Yeah, cuz it's ambiguity. You have you ha- you have uh difficulty with ambiguity and we all do. Yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Because the brain doesn't know yeah. what to do with it. Yeah, so I'm not going to deal with it, which is not healthy. I don't know. I mean, is it or not? Next thing you know, I'm blasting Max Richter, and I'm crying, and I'm like, ooh. But what's know. wrong with that? I think it's be- it's amazing that you cry. So pe- so few people cry. Oh, dude, I cry all the did time. That, did, it, did you start crying more when you had children? Fuck. Yeah. I think I started crying more when, yes, definitely when I had kids, and then also when, you know, my dad's health declined as bad. Mm. Even moving back here. Because I was like, oh man, shit. I left St. Louis as an 18-year-old kid to go figure out who I was Mm. and and lived in New York for a long time. It was fine. And I came back in not the greatest situation, not like some prodigal son thing, but like I came back, you know, during COVID, all this weird uncertainty. And my dad is not in any state that I can have a relationship with him. And so sometimes I do wrestle and feel bad where it's like, did I miss out on every opportunity I had to have a relationship with my dad in the hedonistic pursuit of my own like self and understanding? And um, I feel really guilty for it. Mm. Where it's like, I could have, I could have had a strong relationship with him. And now I'm an adult and I have kids and I want his advice. Perfect example. I got a fucking flat tire, right? No big deal. Had a flat tire. I don't know how to change a tire. And I was like, damn, it would have been cool if my dad would have taught me how to do that. You know, and it's like, is that his job? Is it my job? Is it, you know, I mean, it was, I could look it up on YouTube. I I solved the problem, but it was like, I was really upset that I wasn't here to learn that from my dad or my dad didn't try to do that with me. And then it causes me to evaluate how I, you know, because I feel like every generation is a whiplash from the previous, Mm. right? And and, and the values that they are raised by. So in in most cases, you have a lot of emotional baggage that you bring into any relationship. Uh, It's called family of origin when people are talking about in psychology. And so, you know, how you were raised, you are going to, in most cases, push back against that in how you raise others. So um, especially if you weren't happy with the experience. And so I kind to sit with that a lot and I think it's caused me to be much more emotional and grief of what I have no control over from the relationship with my parents and then also what I have um, an illusion of control over with my kids Mm. because I don't have control over them you know and I remember I was talking to my mom about this and she was like well, you know, I didn't realize this till later, but you raise your kids to leave you. Mm. And I was like, shit. Wow. Dude, yeah. you, well, your mom's coming with some <laughs> heavy wisdom. Whoa. I've never heard. Yeah, she's got I've heat. never heard that before. Yeah, that's a smoker, dude. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man. And, you know, and she's like, so don't abandon your own relationships with 
your your partner, your spouse. Mm, whoa. She said spouse. She didn't say partner. But she was like, but don't don't abandon that. She's like, because they're there forever. Right. And she's like, a lot of people will wow. push someone else away in the in to their own sort of self-discovery or whatever yeah. it is. But what I didn't realize. Which by you know, the way is, and this is, is from, hard on the kids yeah. also. That's Bingo. a huge amount of pressure on your children. And yeah. you can't help but ultimately and, there, there has to be a little bit of resentment against them too that comes up if you're like, oh, you, you know, I gave up my whole life for you. Yeah. I mean, I when I a good friend of mine who's a, an actor, I won't say his name on this, I told him that I was when I was moving to St. Louis. And he was like, dude, you just put your career like 10 steps back. And I was like, well, I got to take care of my kids. He's like, I get it. He's like, but this is the thing that I don't know if you realize. He's like, you are going to, it's going to happen. And he wasn't being mean when he said it, or they weren't being mean. She wasn't, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I understood it more at the sacrifice I would make. But I want to, like, I, I want to give my kids a, a, a standard of right. life that I, I didn't. Sure. Have. So yeah, they go to fancy, expensive Montessori schools where they're playing with dirt and I don't know, learning about you know bugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and but all of these things to, to come full circle have made me extremely emotional and sensitive, uh, especially towards things to be grateful for. Mm. You know, and I try to be very conscious of it when I do the pod, when I do all sorts of things. Because it's like, yeah, you know, I had a shitty day, but to a bunch of people, I'm living the dream. And even though I'm a ball of anxiety, nine times out of 10, like, you know, in a weird way, someone is envious of my situation. And I should be more grateful for it. Um, and I know that's a that's a shame mentality. That's actually shaming myself in, into being gra- grateful instead of being grateful for the sake of it. And um, but that's where I try to get into. I don't know. Like I got really, I've gotten really into religion, like various forms of it and all sorts of stuff. Where because mm. I'm like, well, surely, like if I can tab that, I can just fix things. But yeah, it's heavy shit. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to handle it. There, all. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, you just said so much. Thank you for sharing. All I'm sorry. No, no, no. It was great. This is your episode. Not anymore, baby. You fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you strong armed game it. over <laughs> back to my comedy special <laughs> <laughs> well no but i think that that's why what the dots that i was trying to connect to is i think people that are comedians they don't realize it but i think it's the highest calling anyone could have because it you have to help other people be more okay with the state of life that they're in so you call out all the ridiculous things that people can laugh at and then you walk away and everyone who, you know, for me, after I watched your special, I mean, it was, I, I'm serious. Yeah, I loved it. And it's not just because we're homies. Like there was, there was stuff there that I was like, wow. I was like, one, I'm super happy for Mort because he's, sounds like he's processed a lot, but two, that you're thriving despite of what you've gone through. Mm. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, well, it's interesting what you say about the comedy thing that me about being a higher calling i think it's a i think it's a tool like anything else i i understand that there are there are certain aspects of eastern religions that talk about how you have to be really really careful with what kind of music you listen to it's not that they're anti-music it's that they recognize the power of music and that it can like get into your heart whether you want it to or not and i think comedy is an interesting thing where you can do it in a toxic way like if you're if you're starting from a foundation that is untrue then it's that then i Mm -hmm. don't think it's always like very helpful but if you're trying to start from a place because because there's different kinds of truth people say like comedy is just telling the truth it's like Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know what I mean? Like, was Andrew Dice t- Clay telling the truth? You know what I mean? Like, kind to him, he was. And also, like, people like him, yeah. whatever, it's fine. But but if you're starting from a foundational place of, like, you can, say, you can say shit that is funny from that place, but I disagree with the foundational premise, you know? So I, I also think it's, like, it depends on the way that you utilize it. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think get her done (laughs) is causing me to look at myself from a different perspective or question. Yeah, and not even, and of course, not also, and also not that it all has to be like Nanette style, whatever, like emotional exploration. Either you could just be, I love this dude, Brad Wenzel. You know, he's just silly as shit all the time. Like I'm down for just absurd, silly one line. I think all that stuff is completely beautiful. I guess I'm talking more about like, there's kind of like a toxic comedy that's just sort of like weird. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, really yeah. popular yeah <laughs> but then so yeah i don't know man it's um it is a really really powerful thing i what what religions have you checked out uh okay so when i was younger um i was really into buddhism mm. and i i had met a woman that i was very much in love with and she was also buddhist and she you know but she was also you know i say this in hindsight she was also like Madonna, Kabbalah, you know, stuff where I think she was more interested in the vanity Mm. of it. I mean, obviously, we're not together anymore. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was like, well, I can't half-ass anything. If I'm going to do this, I'm really going to try to to go deep. And I got into that. And then I was like, well, the, the whole point of this isn't fulfilling to me. I was like, this enlightenment, this this um, numbness. I was like, I, I really, as much as I want joy, I also feel like I learn a lot from grief and, and pain. And, and I think those emotions are extremely important. And I'm not saying, I'm no authority on Buddhism. Let me be very clear. But I was trying to not casually observe or participate in that. And then I got, I was like, well, you know, and a friend of mine's, you know, you should really read about Confucius and get more into that. And then I was like, okay. And I started getting more into Confucianism. And and the go- cool thing is when you're in New York, there's a, there's a group of people for whatever you're into. Yeah. And so I was trying to do that. And I was like, you know what? This isn't really working either. And then... You know, I was very much against Christianity, specifically because of my dad being a pastor. But my dad was like, look, I don't care what you're into. He's like, you just need to have faith in something. He's like, whatever it is, he's like, whether he's like, you don't have faith in anything. And I think if you don't have faith in yourself or some sort of other religion or thing, he's like, you're just always going to be empty. You're just going to be walking around upset. And knowing how he felt about Christianity and how important it was to him, because he really detested the modern, you know, especially of like what people think of when they think of Christianity now. Mm -hmm from just like far right wings and Trump and all that stuff. I mean, he would, you know, he would hate it, you know. Um, But he was like, you just need to have faith in something because you're going to get to the end of yourself and you're not going to know what to hold on to. And he was, you know, and I remember he was like, that's the best thing of you not living here is he's like, you you need to find out um, like who you are. And I was like, oh yeah. And I wasn't just like blowing lines and banging (laughs) chicks. I mean, this wasn't like the sort of stuff I was doing. It was, you know, trying to play music and stuff like that. But it that, um, you know, and then I was like, well, maybe I'm just going to, you know, I, then I dated a Jewish woman and she was like, oh, you know, let's go to temple. Let's see. And I was like, oh, cool. I, I could, I could be into this. I'm like, you know, there's, there's some Jesus stuff, you know, you're not into, but you're into all these other Bible things. Okay. I'm, you know, and again, I was just like getting deeper and deeper. And then I met, a, uh, you know, of course these tend to be connected to different women I dated. And then it was like, um, Scientology. I started getting into that and then I was like, okay. Oh, fuck wow. And I just backed away from everything. And now, you know, I would say I'm into God and the concept of Christianity, but I'm very much not into Christians or Christian culture. But I think it becomes, a you know, I, I continue to read more books about theology than I do anything else. Um, you know, and a lot of it, I think I got into Viktor Frankl, um, Man's Search for Meaning, which is, you know, kind of a, a bedside book for any sort of wannabe intelligent. You have infinite jest and, you know, Man's Search for Meaning on your nightstand. Mm-hmm. Cool guy. 
with your monocle. <laughs> um, but like that, that definitely made me reevaluate stuff. Um, and now, you know, I'm still kind of in the same spot, but my kids, especially Harriet, she wants to go to church hmm. and I'm like, Shit. how old is like, she? Well, uh, five and a half. Uh-huh, wow. So I don't, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of walking the line of, I don't want to program my kids, but also I'm like, you know, this is a desire she wants, you know, and it's funny because my, you know, Sean, my brother, whom you also yeah. know, you know, he's very much like, I'm not letting them do anything. And I'm like, well, you're actually doing the opposite because in some cases your kids want to do certain things and you're actually depriving them of it versus in, 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 in pursuit of protecting them. There's a big difference. Um, you know, they don't want to go jump off a bridge. They want to experience something different. And based on your experiences, you're trying to, you know, shield them from that, which is also fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying he's not going to let them do anything in regards to like religion or do anything? In regards to religion. Oh, yeah. He's okay. like, well, we had to go to church all the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, fucking like, yeah, we're, we were still conscious human beings. You still decide on what you want to do. Yeah. If your kid wants to go to church, why don't go to church? It depends on the kid, too. Like, I've noticed, I listen to a ton of, uh, skateboarders talking just because i like skateboarding and i, I and, and uh, i noticed this pattern that a lot of them had skateboards taken away from them for a while or threatened to be taken away from them or weren't able to get a skateboard for a really long time and and i think it can be the same thing if you're a kid who's like into religion or something and your parents won't let you explore it the desire is just going to grow and grow and, Bingo. and it's going to come yeah. you know what i mean it's going to become a bigger thing even um, now with parenting a lot of people are like don't you know you want to protect your kid but it's like don't don't lead with something that they can't Right. Oh yeah, like, sure. Right. Like a perfect example. So like Harriet, all of a sudden she thinks farts are funny, yep. which is like, yeah, she's great. No, no shit. Of course they are. And <laughs> you said I was like, hey, no like fucking you- shit. <laughs> you know, and she was like, Dad, I want you know make a fart noise, and I'm like, hey, please don't. You know, that's not appropriate right now. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right, right. But what I didn't realize is I'm actually kind of making it a little bit more enticing. Yeah, because yeah. It's like, well, I'm not really supposed to do that. Which well, is part hey, of why they're hilarious too, because that's also like in the case in general, polite society. Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, it's it's all these things. It, it's it's caused me to uh, to cling actually to, to comedy more than ever, and I think that's just like the age that I'm in and what all my friends are in is we're in these weird existential moments of you know elevated long term relationships and um, reevaluating how we understand materialism and mm. and and socioeconomic status. You know, I mean, and it's I think it's an age thing. But it's it's all of my friends are in the exact same boat. It's just like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do do that. Or because I, at least I'm lucky enough that most of my friends, no one is concerned about whether or not they're going to die or eat or, you know, they all have food and shelter. They all have all the basic, you know, needs. Right. Um, and but and so it's just caused them to focus on things that like maybe you neglected. Um, yeah. So and, and yeah. also I think there's, you know, I just don't think it's a mistake that there's a lot of different opportunities to allow people to explore those kinds of these sort of like questions of existence or consciousness in a bunch of different areas, right? It's like, I to me, you're a seeker. That's what you're doing. You're seeking, yeah. you know? And it's and we say like, it's in the seeking. It's not in the finding. Because I think yeah. the mind wants you to f- get to a point where you're, okay, this is my belief in God or whatever. This is what the faith is, you know? Whereas like my practice is more about like, okay, what, what aspects of these different belief systems can I take that I find beneficial to my life? Like when it was, when I was in my third And this is apparently not uncommon as far as like psychological development. I started to get hit with this really, really intense fear of death. And I'd never had, I'd never even considered it at all. Right. And it really did start. And I looked at some like 
Thich Nhat Hanh. And, and then I started to get deeper into that stuff. And that's sort of his ideas, his concepts of like, where he's like- it's like reincarnation. Yes, that's an aspect of it, right? Yes. And sure. also there is a natural changing to the world, to everything that exists in the organic natural world. And human beings, because of our intellect, think that we're separate from all this. And in reality, we're we're not at all. And I just found this incredibly, I just, anyway, so that, and for me, it just made sense. Like there's just stuff that I can take from these experiences that are like, oh, I'm adopting that into my spiritual belief system because that is, I view that as a loving perspective. Damn. Which is an antidote to this fear that we're given, which is like, Look, the only way we're ever taught to deal with death is through abject fucking terror. That's it. Mm-hmm, we never mm-hmm. we never see it. It's completely hidden. And every action movie and every movie, the worst possible thing that could ever happen to a human being is that they could die. So of yeah. course we're fucking scared of that. You know what I mean? But then there are yeah. all there are like these ancient systems which have a certain level of wisdom around that stuff because they're like millennia old. You right. Know? And there have been people who have dead there are generations and generations and generations of people who have dedicated their entire lives to the loving study of the universe in a way that they can articulate this stuff that if you're open to it can be extremely um, relieving. I find it to be. And that's was really important to me. And again, it wasn't because I was like, I'm a, like Mr. I want to get into crystals. It was like, look, I'm, I can't fucking sleep because <laughs> I'm so scared of dying. Like somebody help. You know what I mean? Or do so, you sleep? Okay. Now, no. why not? I have. More, to- more, you have you have the greatest life. You're a comedian. You're an actor. You live in in California in beautiful weatherland. You got a cool cat. You got a nice pad. You got a you know you got a good partner. What? Yeah. What's uh, wrong? I mean, it's a big it's a big question. I don't know. I I I've all yeah, you know. I had gnarly trauma as a child. I fucking <laughs> I like I. It's generational. My dad doesn't sleep. He's up till like six a.m. all the time. Like my sister doesn't sleep. None of us sleep. And I've done everything. I I I don't know. I've heard. I've heard a couple different things. You know what I mean? Like there's these, I have ADD. I was diagnosed with ADD as a child, right? There's this, yeah. this theory called the Night Watcher theory. Oh. I love this. That, that Marvel that, movie? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the Nightcrawler theory that you're like Jake Gyllenhaal. You're a fucking, <laughs> a creepy yeah. news That's photographer. That's a fucked up movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love him like trying to, him trying to be not hot. It's still like, well, you're still fucking Jake Gyllenhaal. You're not like actually <laughs> creepy, you know? You're like Hollywood. Very creepy. true. Uh, well, anyway, great performance. Um, But I, but yeah, that like supposedly way back in the day, there were people in the tribe who were tasked to stay up all night and view the horizon to watch for danger. And a huge aspect of ADD is the in a total inability to regulate your sleep. And it like it's it's really mm. damaging. It like affects relationships and your ability to have a career and it's all this other stuff. And the theory is that these are the people who were tasked to like watch the night. So I'm like, I love staying up late and watching like action movies. And when I lay down to sleep, exactly like you're talking about, about your experience when you try to meditate, that's what happens to me when I try to go to sleep. And I've never, I've never fallen asleep on accident ever in my life. Like, you know how people are like, I fell asleep on the couch. Like that's never happened to me. It's always been um, an experience of having to like make a real concerted effort to go to Whoa. sleep. Yeah. I've also heard so, that like certain people are on 36 hour sleep cycles instead of 24 hours. That also makes sense to me. Like I'm like I'm, I'm I, I, I start to wake up and feel really good around 10 PM. Mm, perfect. Perfect. If you're a comedian, yeah. those are pretty good hours. Yes, exactly. So, right, man. When do you usually go to bed? Uh, last night I went, to, I laid down at nine thirty and I fell asleep about two o'clock. 
And what did you do between the hours of 9.30 and 2 I laid there. Interesting. Yeah, and usually I can't. Usually I, I have to get up and like watch skateboard videos or something. Um, but uh, Yeah? yeah. Do, do you ever skate? Do you, you go full Rodney Mullen and you just go find a random... No, I'm not even using the time wisely. Like, I'm just <laughs> totally like watching like car videos on YouTube or watching the new fucking Palace video or something. Which, dude, you should watch... Have you You should watch Kyle Wilson's part in the last Palace video. He's got the first part and this dude uh, he's got style like no one i've ever seen you're gonna go nuts for his clothes it's right <laughs> i'm going nuts for his clothes what well, is he wearing all palace head to toe nah, no no he's wearing other stuff but he's got like do rags and like big jean shorts and he's got the some uh, i think he's got like he's like stevie williams meets like wade disarmo okay i actually I, I know exactly what you're saying when you say yeah. that. yeah yep Yep, he's real. Here's an honest question. We're going to pivot away from some of the existential shit. Why do you think skateboarders are always like leaders of culture? I am so psyched you asked that question. Because they are inherently rebellious and autonomous and on their own and they're in the streets and part of the activity is is based so heavily on aesthetics and individualized aesthetics as opposed to like a basketball player like basketball players finally started to wear really really cool clothes at the press conferences right but it's like imagine Mm -hmm. if imagine if the nba was only a dunk contest and you could wear whatever clothes you wanted that's That's skateboarding right it's like and not only not only that but it's inherently anti-property ownership. So it's inherently anti-capitalistic and that's why people fucking hate it. And the, for a long period, we were talking about this, you could uh, uh, entirely engage with skateboarding and never purchase anything corporate for like a really long time before like Nike and Adidas actually kind of started to do a good job of, you know, like sponsoring good skateboarders and hiring skateboarders to run mm-hmm. their programs, right? But so skateboarding is like, it's just, it was built out of the orphans of society. And, mm-hmm. and those people created their own aesthetic-based form that is very deeply connected to like kind of underground unseen street aspect of American society. So in the early 90s, skateboarders, they started to dress like fucking orphans, right? They, it got, it got For a while, the fashion got kind of co-mingled with like rave culture. And so they started to wear these like super giant pants. They called it the goofy boy era. And they had these like giant shirts and they were just dressing mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what I dress like when no one cares about me. Cause I might as well look like a Dickensian orphan because no one like, so like, fuck you. And like my hair is in braids and I don't care what you think about me. Cause you already hate me. Cause you want me out front. You don't, you, you, you want me away from your storefront or whatever. Right. So then, it, right. You know, okay. what I, you know what I mean? So then in the mid nineties, like where, which is like my favorite era of aesthetically, what it looked like is like, then it started to get really intertwined with hip hop culture. And it was like somewhat appropriative, but also like it also just was part of the culture itself. Like it truly was. So that, that experience of like the the fashion of hip hop co-mingling with kind of the fashion of skateboarding was like this really tasteful, beautiful, cool, extremely cool aesthetic that was built by like the children that nobody cared about. Mm. You know, like like hip hop comes from restructuring music because they didn't have access to instruments because they fucking took mm-hmm. away the music programs. And skateboarding is all about the restructuring of benches because they refuse to play 
baseball, right? So it's like there's an art form involved in recontextualizing this shit at the risk of sounding like overly academic. Does that make sense? No, so I mean, it's I like so it's like you're taking yeah. shit because you don't you don't have access to that much. It's not like snowboarding where you got like six hundred dollars to go on top of a mountain. You know what I mean? Like you're just going directly <laughs> in front of your house in the city. You yeah, know? no, you're exactly right. So that's why they're on the I mean, that's I- why they're on the forefront of shit and everybody else is like after them because you know, because it's, that's how cool shit gets burned. I mean, still in my head, when I think of someone that, you know, I want to look cool, and this is pre-Tony Hawk, it's always Andrew Reynolds. You turned me on to Andrew Reynolds. Hmm. This is way early, you know, because it was like the jeans and, you know, the, the, and he, I don't think in most cases when I'm, you know, if you're not familiar with Andrew Reynolds, he's a professional skateboarder, but he, he, I mean, it was just very simple stuff. It was like black 501 jeans and a white t-shirt and something like that. Yes. Yeah, you know, so, like yeah, so the, and then, so this is the end area. Reynolds, right? This is like bigger jeans yes. before he went punk. Yes. Okay, great. Bucket hat, yes. button up pledge. Yes. Yes. Yep. And mm-hmm. like that is something I've tried to emulate all the time when I get dressed. And I know I can never hit it. One, because I'm not Reynolds. And obviously I'm not, you know, I could I could never really skate well. But there was there was a je ne sais quoi. For, <laughs> you know, there, there was just this this ease. Yes. And I want to like journey through my life in the, with that same ease. Yes. Because Even though I know that Reynolds is obviously has had his own demons. I mean, he's sober now, et cetera. But like there was something there when I when I understood him, it was in a different light. Oh, yeah. No, he was incredible and always has been. He's one of the most probably influential skateboarders. I mean, of course, there's like many, many arguments to be made. Mark Gonzalez, Guy Mariano, whoever. But I mean, the dude is made. He has this like incredibly long standing skateboard company. He's 40 something and he's still skating. He's putting out parts, which is unbelievable. But well, and those do, and there's there's still people that are trying to like hit that kind of 90s. There's this dude named, named Tom Snape who I think hits it really well. It really is this specific cut of gene, which I'm sure you know more about than I do. But people have moved away from it because I feel like like skateboarders now are dressing closer to the early 90s than they than the mid 90s now with the exclusion of a couple different people, right? But it's like, but yeah, that's the yeah. thing. The clothes are as a huge part of the entire enterprise, right? Like it really is you yeah. are, you're saying who you are by choosing, by intentionally choosing what you wear. So like those, when those guys went punk, I, I believe that they're the reason people started. I believe that Ali Bulala, Jim Greco, those people are responsible for people wearing tight pants. No one wore tight pants. And those dudes came out and they started dressing like Richard Hell and the Sex Pistols. And then seven years later, people started like pants started to slim up a little bit, you know? And like, I remember, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember like people making fun of me for wearing like brown cargo pants. And then four years later, everyone in high school was wearing them. And it wasn't because I'm smart. It's because I was looking at these skateboarders who also, by the way, are on the coasts. And as we know, that's like where, where fashion comes from as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing to articulate, but it's like, because it's, it's not just the wearing the clothes, it's how the clothes move and it's how you move in the clothes. So when those dudes went punk, they're sort of this thing happened in my mind where like, and people, they, they don't love that era of Reynolds, but I really love it partially because that was like a powerful time in my life. I saw him, I went to the premiere of this skateboarding in New York and like shook his hand and told him he had a great part. And and to me, he was, wearing, he was wearing super tight pants and leather jackets and he was dressing just like exclusively rock and roll as shit. And he was like frontside flipping the love park gap. And 
there was something so in my mind because he's so tall and skinny there was something like really vulnerable about the way that he was dressing and the way that he skates he, yeah. they call him like danger hands now i call him like 90s hands like there's there's he's got he tends to put his hands up slightly like he's not full bore aggression style he's not like tom penny like incredibly smooth although he is very very smooth but because of his height and the shape of his body there's something a little bit vulnerable of like fuck you don't want him to fall and especially then when he was like all messed up on cocaine or whatever it was like he had this yeah. look of like a dude who was not doing great barely didn't seem like he skateboarded that much at all and then would step on his skateboard and do the gnarliest shit and and yeah. that's like and also these dudes are all making choices with their dresses with their clothes of like okay now i'm I like I like when an article, a series of, you know, an outfit tells a story, for lack of a better term, right? I know that's kind of a cliched thing, but it's like, okay, what's your thing? You're like, you're a hungover, barfly, coke addict, damaged dude who's also one of the best skateboarders in the world. That's pretty yeah. sick. <laughs> so if you connect skateboarding and comedians, do you uh -huh. think it's in the fact that there is a recklessness vulnerability? Yeah, I think that's a fair, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I think skateboarding is one of the few things that that's harder than stand up. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> And and physically, you know, stand up is really, really hard emotionally. I mean, I'm trying to like figure out how to fucking get some new material and it's so hard. And I like, I just. And you're still acting, right? I mean, because I mean, you, you were, the last thing I saw you in was Mythic Quest. You, it looks like you have some other stuff that's in the hopper. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm on Mythic Quest. I think we're, there's going to be another show coming out that I'm going to do a little bit of work on. But yeah, I haven't been on, I haven't been auditioning for stuff anymore, which has helped me focus more on stand up, which has been really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm down to try and, I, I need to like, fit, I, I have yet to decide if I'm going to try and get another manager or not, because I think that auditioning for TV shows, while it was a really, really cool experience, I think it was a little bit distracting from like, act, like, I think the reason I was able to do the specials because I had a bunch of time off from, from um, auditioning for television shows because that just takes up a huge amount of like emotional bandwidth basically for me. Right. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I think skateboard, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really, it's hard. It's fucking hard. It take, you have to try to do a kickflip 10,000 times to do one. And even, and then you do one and it's really bad. <laughs> like it's not a good kickflip and you have to do 10,000 more for him to be like, and that whole time you're like getting really hurt. And now I'm like, I'm trying to get new material. So I just fucking, I went, I got COVID cause I went, did stand up in Hollywood and I'm pretty sure that sentence has COVID. I, and then I was like just seven <laughs> days out and I got to try to go to these open mics and like work on my new stuff. And I, I think we, we all go through this phase of like, I'm not, the shit's not good. It's not, fu it's not funny. It'll never be funny. Like there's no way it could possibly funny when i know from experience that like when i work on it a lot a lot a lot and and really dedicate to myself to it i can come out with, with good shit which i which i have so. yeah that's the thing a lot of people when they talk about comedians no one really doubles down on the fact that most comedians bomb a lot and yeah. there's got there's got to be some sort of resilience and maybe that's the thing maybe i'm the one that's projecting here on the skateboarding thing where it's like you don't really do that good that often <laughs> you know it's it's like any sort of sport where it's like if you can do good 15% of the time, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's a baseball analogy in there too, which I don't give a shit about. But like, if you can do good just that small percent, like then you made it. Like you, you're still a incredible artist. Yeah, that's a threat. Even though you might spend more time failing than more. And not only, there's an ego to it too, which is I am the art. That's the fuck, that's the egoic oh, like through is. line. Do you know what I mean? Of like everybody's in skateboarding, right? Everybody's gonna fucking watch, they're gonna point cameras at me and they're gonna watch me do this thing and I'm gonna fucking fail and throw a tantrum 
and like it, you know <laughs> hit a cop or whatever crazy shit i'm gonna do or you know run from a security guard or whatever and and then yeah, yeah. and then and then with stand-up i think and again this this is the other side of what i'm talking about like the, the kind of stuff that i try to try to do i can go too far into the self-indulgent thing as opposed to like kind of the toxic thing which is a concern but like the everybody look at me everybody deal with every fucking emotion that i have <laughs> you know what i mean and like let me try it mm-hmm. but if you can make all that shit funny it's really really powerful but you run the if it's not funny you like that's the risk i'm running all the time it's like oh i'm just standing up here being like kind of loud and annoying and kind of whining or really like pretentious in the shit that i'm talking yeah, you know damn do you still skate I roll around like I, I try. I mean, I have a board. I left it at this fucking stand up club the other day and I think it's gone. So now I only have a cruiser, um, but I still roll around. Mm. There's a skate park right up the street from me, but you, it's huge. Like they built all these skate parks that 1% of skateboarders can fucking skate. There's like giant bowls and stuff. And also you can't, you yeah. can't go in there without pads. So it's like this, you know, many multi thousand dollar park and it's a bunch of like like four-year-olds on scooters and like and like full gear which is fine but like they don't need a 10-foot bowl like give them a couple curbs and they're and a, and a quarter pipe and they're fine yeah no i agree i mean i i remember the only skate park was columbia was in columbia when i was when i would skate and we would go there and it was just massive bowls and i was way too i could barely drop in on anything you know and it was like there was one mini it was like maybe like an 18 inch tall rail and there was like a line to try and do tricks on the rail which i of course ate shit on every single time and i just remember like i mean that was like the first and the last time i went i was just like this is ridiculous like everything here is you got to be like level 99 and i can't even do the like lower level shit i mean it was uh it was very interesting to to go to that yeah and a lot of the other yeah yeah, no i know because i know exactly what you're talking about because it had this like bowl section and then it had the rail and a ledge right next to it but the the rail was like there was also there was a big bank here and then a big quarter on this side and the rail went in the yeah, middle of it. Yeah. When like the optimal skate park is just that rail and then another bench and then like two quarter pipes. That's all you need. Whereas yeah. like they're trying to pack in like four pyramids, three like ledges and two, and then two weird like bank half pipey thing. You know what I mean? Like they're just trying to, they, yeah, they, don't they wanna... played the video game and we're like, Oh, this is what the kids want. Let's just copy this. Game. Yeah. They don't, you don't <laughs> understand flow. And especially like the older you get, you know what I mean? It's why Pete just build what the kids gravitate towards. Where do they want to go? They want to go to the plaza that just has the fucking ledge and some stairs. That's all. You know what I mean? They just want to like get high and like <laughs> flop around on that. shit. just let them do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah damn didn't i i knew we would discuss skating but didn't didn't expect to to, to merge the two yeah i mean i yeah i, I think they're both you know they're they're both like they both involve some sacrifice um that's for sure yeah you know but so, so does everything else i, I i'm not i that sounds like i don't know i'm not trying to act like it's like the most it's, yeah, it's all it's, right yeah, to, everything's relative totally relative it's way harder to like build a house do you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, yes, I'm sure it is. And that's the thing. That that's that's the like the starving kids and whatever response when anyone has a bad day it's like well you could be starving in wherever you know and insert country could be starving in the united states you could be star- you know and i think that that's a weird defense thing that people throw up when they're when you know they just want to minimize their own yeah i, I will just say i'm i am incredibly grateful for skateboarding and comedy because i mean that's why that's the reason i you know and music too like that's the reason i gravitate towards that shit is because it does help me feel like lighter when i feel troubled in a troubling spot you know yeah, yeah. damn heavy shit fuck <laughs> I mean, this this was. I'm really, really glad we got to chat. Today. Yeah, me too, man. Thank you so much for having me, dude. It was it was great talking to you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, buddy. Thanks. 
You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amarlo, and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Break Master Cylinder. If you like what you heard, share the pod with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, do the deals. I think you can like rate us on Spotify now too. Who knew? What ma- magic world we're in. Uh, follow us on Instagram for all the hot content at Blamo Podcast. And if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Last but not least, if you want to hang out with us and join the Blam fam, yep, bad name, better group, visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive shh, top secret episodes in our amazing, incredible, wonderful Incredible, I don't know. I'm running out of adjectives and superlatives Slack community. They're all in there. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We'll see you soon.